Hi, this is Brandy Suzuwitz, and I'm the CEO and founder of Receipt, the first online marketplace for companies to buy and sell Second Life furniture and also have um, a way to manage their furniture inventory across all locations. And you're watching a student's perspective. Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to A Student's Perspective, the weekly series that connects students with designers, manufacturers, educators, industry professionals, and design media celebrities to hear their stories on just how they've gotten to where they are now. Through our conversations, we connect the past, present, and future of design to show just how much we can learn from each other to grow towards our fullest potential without prescribed limitations. Think of a student's perspective as a weekly design lecture series from the student's point of view. A student's perspective is a division of the nonprofit University Hall of Innovation, whose goals are to connect students with the design industry through design challenges and mentorship, and a collaboration with the Marywood University Interior Architecture Program in Scranton, Pennsylvania. All interviews can be found in their video format at www a student's perspective.tv. For more information or sponsorship inquiries, please contact University Hall of Innovation at gmail.com. Hi, my name is Gabriella, and welcome back to another episode of A Student's Perspective. Today we're here with Brandy. So, could you just, we had a little intro to begin, but could you talk a little bit more about yourself and your business? Sure. Um, so my name's Brandy. I'm the CEO and founder of Receipt. Um, it's a company that I actually founded um, right at the beginning of the pandemic because my husband and I uh, worked for the same furniture dealership in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we both received a 50% pay cut to our income. And that's kind of, that's basically the beginning and, and how the company started um, but I've been in the furniture industry for 25 plus years and basically saw the furniture waste happen on every single one of my projects. And, um, and really during the pandemic, it gave me the time to, um, to really research the problem and try to come up with a solution. Definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. So you would say during COVID, especially when lots of offices were closing, uh, people, there were a lot of vacancies. So, so much furniture was going to waste. Um, so that's mm -hmm. a really good opportunity to start something like that. So how, explain a little bit more about how receipt works, how you streamline the process of buying, donating, selling furniture. Yeah. So first of all, I'd like to just kind of point out that um, that the furniture waste problem in our industry isn't just something that um, that happened during COVID. It's actually something that has been part of our industry and a major problem for basically since I've started in um, 1996. <laughs> um, and the latest statistics from the EPA are from 2017, so way before the pandemic. And those statistics are that 98% of the furniture that we're selling companies is ending up in the landfill. Less than 2% of the furniture is receiving a second life or even being properly recycled because in order to properly recycle commercial furniture, um, you've got to take it completely apart. If you think about 
um, you know, a standard cast chair, it's got many different materials. It's got the foam, it's got the fabric, it's got metal, it's got plastic. And so in order to really recycle that properly, you're paying extra. The customer is paying extra for it to all be taken apart. And it's just not happening. So most of it is just being sent to landfill. Um, so, so I would say, you know, typically, um, you know, the way companies have been getting rid of furniture the last several decades is um, they always wait till the last minute. And even though companies know for many, many months, uh, sometimes 9, 12, 12 months, even longer that they're going to be relocating and they're not bringing their existing furniture. Um, they don't deal with their existing furniture until about eight weeks before they need to vacate the building. And that's always when I get the call of, hey, we need to sell our furniture and all this furniture needs to be out of the building, you know, um, within eight, nine weeks. And that's why the waste happens because they're waiting too long. It's not a sofa that you're trying to sell from your house when you're done using it. It's a building worth of office furniture with hundreds and thousands of items. And so you need accurate information on what you have and what's there. And you also need to allow yourself enough time because what I have found is that it doesn't matter how nice or new the furniture is I mean, it literally could be Herman Miller Aeron chairs, um, but if you have a thousand of them, no one's going to want to take on that responsibility unless they know exactly where they're going, because it costs money to remove all the furniture and then to store it. So really what Receipt is doing is it's kind of a paradigm shift, but we're really letting people know that they need to start thinking about what's going to happen to the furniture at the very beginning of beginning of purchase instead of waiting until the end because that's really the only way to do it you've got to be able to capture everything you've purchased up front have it in a database that you can you know go back to when you're ready to get rid of the furniture and then a way to easily market it and connect it to a marketplace early enough so that other dealer partners and their salespeople or even architects and designers can actually have the time and the opportunity to go look at the inventory, make sure that it works for their customer, get approval, and then start drawings. So it's really, it's really about getting in front of the problem because um, the reason why we have all this waste is because companies don't know what they have and they don't know how to manage their furniture. Um, and they're just not getting in front of the problem when really it's something that should be pretty easy. Like if you think about it, we, you know, we sell our houses while they're while we're living in them. And the reason is because it's just too wasteful to move out. Right. And then sell your house. It's like sell your furniture while you're sitting in it. And yeah. because we all know projects, there's a lot of planning in place. You've, it takes time. So, um, so really, it's just about getting in front of the problem. Yeah. And this is such a great idea because it sounds like 
you just need a little bit more organization, premeditation, instead of waiting to the last minute, having that super quick turnaround and then just not having enough time. So exactly. this is a great thing. <laughs> and yeah. you did mention how it's so hard to recycle the pieces because of all the different components. Um, so I'm just wondering, looking forward, do you see people maybe trying to purchase or design more, I guess, uh, easier to deconstruct furniture so that it's easier to recycle eventually? Mm-hmm. I see a lot of manufacturers doing that, which I think is a great idea. Of course, you know, if it's less labor intensive to take apart the furniture and recycle it, um, it's going to be less money to the end user that they have to, you know, put out. Um, But it's interesting because there's like a lot of regulations already happening in Europe. And this is something that's going to end up by being here. sooner than we know it. So they've got to be prepared and they've got to, um, you know, they've got to have a way to manage their furniture. It's just, it's too irresponsible to be making these, you know, massive purchases and not having a plan. Um, You know, we, we're an industry that operates at enormous scale and the furniture that these companies are buying um, you know, it's going straight to landfill. And so it's taking, you know, decades and decades and decades to, um, disintegrate and it's just a mess. Um, but what we're saying and kind of our, our tagline, um, that we tell everybody is simply a little bit of forethought can end a lot of waste. So, um, really that's all it takes. So we just have to be more, you know, thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's a pretty easy uh, sentiment to market to any business um, to get them to start using this because just with a, it's it doesn't take that much. It's just a little bit more planning, just like you said, will pay dividends in the future. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And this is furniture that, you know, it's not IKEA furniture. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with IKEA. IKEA has, you know, its purpose, but you know, even IKEA has a second life cycle program. Um, and this is furniture that, you know, really is it's not really built to last, but co- the commercial furniture industry is um they're manufacturing furniture that's built to last decades and decades and decades, and most of it isn't even seeing one decade. And the reason for that is because most leases last between five and 10 years. And so every time a customer moves, the trend is to just get rid of everything that they have and get new for the new space. And how it's, often is any of that like worn down that you couldn't use it anymore? Not much, right? Not much at all. And I, you know, when I started in the industry, I was, you know, part of my job was new business development. So I would go out to these, you know, companies that were growing or moving and needed more furniture. And I remember my first question that I would always ask them was, well, what are your plans with your existing furniture? Because I'm meeting at their office and I'm looking around and I'm I'm like, wow, this is great furniture. It's less than 10 years old. It's manufactured by one of the top six brands. What's going on with this furniture? And so that was always my first question 
And I would typically meet with the customer about nine months before they were actually moving. So they know like nine months before at least that they're going to move and they're not bringing their existing furniture. So why do they wait till eight weeks? And I'm, I'm totally convinced that the main reason is because it's typically the facilities manager that is handling the new project and also liquidating the existing building. And he's so busy with, um, you know, getting the new building ready for the, for their employees. And he knows that in order to get somebody interested in his existing furniture, the first thing they're going to ask for is an inventory and companies don't have inventories. And so that's why it's put off because in order for him to get somebody interested, him or her interested, they've got to go to their buildings. They have to identify every single piece of furniture, take a photo of it, measure it, and then upload it to some kind of a share document. And it's so time consuming, especially when you're talking about floors and floors of furniture. So it's like the last thing they want to do, you know? Definitely. And so, so it's kind of an afterthought. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you see a lot of offices vacating at similar rates to COVID when everybody was going home? Like, is this still something that's happening rapidly, giving you more opportunity for your business? You know, um, in the beginning, it was um, it was a lot busier. People were just getting rid of furniture, trying to get out of their leases. Um, but quite honestly, in the last probably six months, we've seen a real shift. Um, people and companies are wanting to return to the office, at least hybrid. Um, and I'll tell you that the thing that we struggle with is, you know, as far as the whole hybrid work thing is we hire a lot of students that are um, that are just they've just graduated, right? And it's like their first job out of college, and it's so hard to try to train somebody via Zoom. I mean, it's not impossible, but for sure, you get so much more out of it when you're actually working side by side with somebody. You're going to job sites. You're, you know, able to ask those questions on the fly that you, you know, instead of like thinking about it, forgetting about the question and then maybe remembering weeks later, you know, and sending an email. Um, I just don't think that it's sustainable for the long term. I mean, I think it's fine for maybe people that have been in the industry for a long time and they know what they're doing but especially people that are just coming out of, um, you know, college and into the workforce, I think that it's, it's, um, it's really not ideal. So we actually have a lot of our interns that, um, you know, we have an office space, but we really don't use it, but they come to our house and we have stations that we set up in our living room and dining room. So, um, so they come here and they work because they just enjoy it better. I feel like, you know, they can ask questions, learn more. So, yeah. That makes sense. From a student during COVID, I was a junior in high school when COVID started and it was just the worst thing. Online learning was the worst thing. Exactly what you were saying. You'd think of a question, you couldn't ask it in person, you'd forget it. There were just so many things that made it not, not ideal. So I, right. 
totally agree that it's not a sustainable way to keep moving forward. We need to be face to face with people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's good for some people, especially maybe like when you're older in your thirties and having a family and you want that more flexibility. But I think by then you really know your job and you know, you can pretty much work on autopilot, right? Um, But when you're just out of college, it's a lot harder to do. For sure. Um, And then I was just wondering, like looking forward at the future of your business and what areas are you maybe looking to grow? Where do you see, um, Mm -hmm. where do you see more growth in your business? Well, so the concept, you know, basically the concept of capturing that information up front um, and having it connect to a circular marketplace automatically when you're done with it, um, I feel like it honestly could be used in everything we buy, literally. Um, And the reason why I think that is, um, you know, for instance, we've got a three-car garage, and we don't park any of our cars in it because there's so much crap in our garage. There's boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff. I don't even know what's out there. And like our neighbors' homes, they have these clean, beautiful garages. Everything's organized. And I was talking to my husband, you know, when we started this business, and I said, I really think receipt ID could be something that's used with everything. Like, what if we were able to pull up our phones and see an inventory of every single thing that we own? So, for instance, right now, if I want to sell the stuff that's in my garage, that means that I have to take at least four weekends of my time, go through everything, right? Photograph it, identify it, measure it, do research to figure out what I originally paid for it, and then upload it to some kind of marketplace. <clears throat> but if I had everything I owned on my cell phone and I just looked through my inventory and I said, oh, you know, those skis that I only used once in Tahoe, um, click sell, automatically goes to the marketplace. I don't have to do anything. Um, oh, those books that I have or those children's books or my kids' clothes that I don't use, donate. You know, click automatically gets donated then we're able to, you know, get the items that we don't use um, into the people's hands that can use it. And I I think that part of the reason why it's not done more often and, you know, the circular economy is something that people are are really trying to figure out is because um, they just don't understand that it's, they're making it too complicated. I think that honestly, it's really just about capturing what you're purchasing, having a record of that and having it easily be able to connect to a marketplace and making it easy for consumers, you know, the sellers and the buyers. And I and obviously you have to have a brand, a website that people are going to go to and actually use. Right. Um, But I think that that really it's that easy. I don't know. We'll see. Um, and as far as growing the company, um, you know, like I said, I think that it could be used in everything really. Um, for instance, we have, we have a couple of NDAs with some large, very large, um, 
architectural firms that really are looking at what we created and they believe that the same concept could be used for construction materials. Wow. Yeah. So, and I'm not like, I know nothing about construction materials, but I totally believe that the same concept could be used. And I see that something like this definitely will be happening in the future for um, construction materials as well. Um, You know, thinking about what's going to happen to that building, all the materials to construct the building and everything that's in that building needs to have a plan because look at how wasteful we are, you know, and we can do it with technology. It exists right now. So let's use it, you know. This is such a good point that this concept is so applicable to so many things. It's making me think yeah. of someone else we had on the podcast uh, earlier this year was the CEO of Saltico, um, which was it was uh, it was we've talked about sustainable clothes. We talked about fast fashion, and it's this something that's making me think of how you could use this for selling old clothes instead of just throwing it out. Or exactly it, for so many things. <laughs> you know what's really funny is I'm sure you've heard of Poshmark. Yes. So Poshmark was one of my clients about seven years ago. And it was so cool because um, I had seen that concept and I thought to myself at the time when I met with the CEO, you know, this is so cool. This could be used in the commercial furniture world. Like, why isn't this being done? And so... um, And that job, by the way, that project was so cool because, you know, Poshmark, obviously it's, it's, it's brands. And so the way they designed their space was there were all these different conference rooms. So we had a Chanel conference room. We had a Ralph Lauren conference room. We had an anthropology conference room. You know, we had Louis Vuitton and it totally, um, you knew you were in the Chanel conference room, you know, because yes. of the way it was decorated. So it was such a fun project. And um, and it's such the trend right now. I mean, if you look at like Madewell and Lululemon and Eileen Fisher, all their, you know, their Second Life programs, those are all powered by a company called Trove which is basically the platform that powers their second life resale. So you can kind of look at receipt like that as well, but we're not teaming up with the manufacturers, we're teaming up with the dealers. And the reason why is because you can't go to Steelcase directly and buy your whole project there. The dealers are the ones that service the client. Same thing like with the car industry, you can't go directly to Ford and buy a Ford. You have to go through one of their dealers. And the reason is because they need that service part of the business. And so that's why we decided to team up with with the dealers. And part of our strategy is adding preferred receipt dealers across the nation And if a dealer agrees to become a preferred receipt dealer, what that means is they've agreed about our mission. They know that our industry is extremely wasteful and most of it's ending up in the landfill. So they're agreeing to proactively register 
their orders with receipt IDs, giving their customers already a proactive plan in place as to what's going to happen to that furniture. So, so far, and we just started this program um, about six months ago, and so far we have $1.2 billion in new furniture sales that are coming with a plan for the second life cycle of their furniture. So in about another six months, we expect that to double. And, you know, my dream is literally to have every commercial furniture order with a receipt ID. Yeah. Because you just need that. You need it, you know. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I was just, so we talked a little bit about how, I know you work mainly in like the corporate the bigger companies, but in terms of maybe someone who wants to be more sustainable in their own home with their own furniture, aside from using uh, apps like Poshmark or whatever else, how else can they attempt to be more sustainable, less wasteful, things like that? Like in their homes? Yes. Oh, well, I mean, for furniture, um, you know, <clears throat> Posh, uh, not Posh, Poshmark, but um, First Dibs, Cherish is a great way. I even shop on Facebook Marketplace for furniture. I swear to you, you know, just pick like a uppity kind of, you know, location, right? I mean, like Los Gatos is right next to us. And the women, the housewives or whoever is decorating their house, right? They've got so much money and they're redoing their houses every couple of years. I mean, you know, for furniture, go there. You can work out such great deals. And we have so many resources on the planet. We really don't need to manufacture new furniture. Um, the other thing that I love is that my youngest daughter, she's 22, and her generation, I swear, is just so freaking cool <laughs> because... <laughs> They are so into this. My daughter doesn't buy anything new. She buys everything on Poshmark. She's always bringing things home to show me how to be more sustainable. She bought me, you know, the bags for the grocery store. Um, little things know, like that. The little things like that. Um, you know, we've got the little um, sheets now for washing our clothes instead of buying the big containers that take how long to, you know, disintegrate, right? Exactly. Um, you know, all those little things, they add up, right? Sure. But this industry should be the easiest thing to plan for because it has such an enormous impact. And really all it takes is just a little bit of planning in the beginning to have you set up for success in the end. It's such a cool concept, and I, yeah, I, it was it's such an issue that can be so easily solved. It really can, but I think that like this industry has been broken for so long, um, because it's been, we've got like the new furniture side of things, which is like, you know, specifying brand new beautiful product products, Gensler, and you've got these architects and designers involved. But then the used side of the furniture industry has always been so broken. Um, so we're just really excited to bring, you know, some credibility to the industry and and really to be the first ones to actually care about what's happening to this furniture and come up with a proactive 
plan yeah. because it's that's what it's all about. Yeah, because it's amazing. Were there any like precedents really to what you're doing now? Like other than, I don't know, things like, I mean, Poshmark's not really the same thing, but like anybody that you looked to that was kind of doing the same thing you wanted to do or? So there was, um, there was Cherish and First Dibs, um, but that's really focused more on antiques and the residential market. There was nothing to, um, to help commercial, the commercial side. Um, because a pre-owned Aeron chair keeps its value. You can sell those things for $525 on the second life market. Um, and then the rest goes into landfill. So companies are being charged to remove it, wasting money, and then it's ending up in landfill. And it's just, it's the most insane thing I've ever seen. And I knew it was always a problem because I've been doing this for 25 years, but I honestly didn't realize how big the problem was until COVID and I had the time to research it. And then when I read that less than 2% of all commercial furniture is receiving a second life or being properly recycled. Statistic. (laughs) It's like, that is insane. And immediately taught myself how to build a website on WordPress. And when I launched it the very first month, um, because I've already been in this industry for a long time, my contacts heard about what I was doing and people at Gensler, AECOM, Skanska, they started reaching out and they were like, hey, we're hearing about what you're doing. We'd love to know more. And then a local editor for Silicon Valley Business Journal reached out the very first month and wanted to do a little story. And so he did a little story and, and literally from that little story, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And every week I was getting a call from somebody that wanted to do a podcast or a story, right? Our fifth month, I got a call from an editor at CNBC and I thought, oh yeah, I'll talk to you. I know CNBC, but I had no clue what that meant or, you know, anything. She calls me on a Saturday and she says, I just want to let you know that this story is going to go live tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, thanks so much. I hung up the phone. I said to my husband, that's so nice of Jennifer. She just called to let us know that the story is going to go live tomorrow. Well, we wake up eight o'clock in the morning and there were over 300 orders in our inbox. We had, and they kept coming every 30 seconds for the whole weekend. And my husband and I were in tears sobbing on the living room floor. Oh my God. Because we couldn't believe it. And we had global press coverage. It was in every language all over the world. It's amazing. And, but that was actually a really important process because at the time I had only built a website where people could buy and sell furniture. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was realizing with this pre- the press coverage was now all these companies all over the world were calling me, asking me to sell their furniture, but they all needed it out within eight weeks. And I had to turn them away. So many people Gosh, for several weeks. So I kind of felt like a failure. Um, because somehow I had, you know, been able to drum up all this attention, but then I was turning a lot of people away. Yeah. And 
one day I'm sitting there and it just dawned on me. And this phrase came in my head. I was sitting on the couch and I looked at my husband. He was talking to me and I'm like, wait, shh, quiet, quiet, quiet. <laughs> I'm like, second life cycle passport, receipt ID. I'm like, this is crazy. This is why this is happening because we're not proactively thinking about what's happening. The problem isn't that companies decide to move in eight weeks and they, they're stressed for time. It's really that they're not set up for, for success from the very beginning because Oracle or any other company you deal with in this industry, they always know for nine, 12 months, a year, sometimes even longer that they're not going to be bringing their furniture and that they're moving, you know? And so they do have a plan. They can have a plan. They can be proactive. They can keep it out of landfill. They just need the proper tools, you know? Yes. Yeah. This is so awesome. This has been so great to learn about this. Cool. (laughs) Um, Something we ask everybody who comes on the podcast is if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice when you were in school, which I don't know if you already knew you wanted to be involved in the furniture industry back then. Was that something you always wanted to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so my story is kind of interesting. I don't think it's very um, it's not very traditional at all because I became a mother at 16. And so I was a teenage mom. I was kicked out of my house when I was 17 and um, my grandfather let me live in one of his apartment buildings that he owned because he owned a bunch of apartments. And so he had a vacant apartment and he told me all I needed to do was go to school. Don't worry about paying rent. So I went to school. Um, I almost finished my associate's degree in interior design, but I ended up by getting pregnant a second time with my, I ended up by marrying my, you know, my teenage boyfriend. Um, And I think that part of me being so naive, because I was, I was so naive, I, I didn't finish high school, in fact. And so I went to a community college when I was 18. Um, and I think part of something that helped me was being naive, asking the questions, um, and, and just not being afraid. I think that having a child at 16 really put a fire under me. And so I was so concerned with being able to take care of my, my child um, that I didn't let fear in the, in the way, you know, I didn't worry about asking a silly question or, you know, asking it twice or three times, or, um, even showing up on a job site and just trying to talk to people and trying to find the decision maker there. Um, drive, drive is the thing that gets you there. Um, it's how bad do you want it really? Um, so I think my advice is don't be fearful. Um, you know, when I was younger, I was so self-conscious and, um, and I even asked those questions still, even though I was so self-conscious and shy, um, but push yourself because every time you push yourself, you push those boundaries 
you know, speaking in front of an audience is like my biggest fear ever. And yet I have to do it probably once a month, you know, and, and it's like every time I do it, it gets easier and easier and easier. And so just keep pushing, you know, do the things that scare you. Talk to people you don't know. Ask the hard question. Don't be afraid for people to say no to you because you never know unless you ask, right? So, so we'll need to hear this. So many yeah, because there's, there's so many. Oh, yeah. Don't be. I can't even imagine now with your generation and the Internet. I mean, I didn't even I didn't have that little action. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting conscious. Yeah, I'm getting chills right now because honestly, the the paranoia, the fear, the anxiety, the whole thing with social media just amplifies it so much more. And, you know, I couldn't even imagine growing up now. It's got to be so fearful. But don't be scared. Get out there. I mean, I'm going to swear right now, but holy crap. If I could do it, anybody can do it. You know, because I had all the odds stacked against me. Every single one. Story is so inspirational. So just don't question yourself. Just go. Go after it. You know? Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. You were such a joy to talk to today. <laughs> oh, thank you. So were you. It's so exciting. I love talking to, you know, the younger generation that are coming into this field because it's so important and you guys can make all the difference in the world. You know, you guys are the ones that specify product. You guys basically own the customer. So just tell them because they'll listen say, this is your beautiful space. And I know you want brand new furniture, but it's going to come with a receipt ID. Yes. You're going to have a plan because, you know, your kids, your grandkids, future generations will thank you. So good. So good. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And thank you for everybody listening and watching right now. Uh, Be sure to like, comment, and share as the conversation continues next week from a student's perspective. We hope you like this discussion with the design industry from a student's perspective. Please like, share, and comment, and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations to come.